we want to sing, okay? I'm going to lead you in it, okay? With, with the band and everybody, okay? Just a chorus. You all know it, okay? We've got the words up there. Here we go. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. One more time. Here we go. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Wow, you guys sound great. Uh, this past week, um, as I was preparing and uh, reading through our scripture for the week, hopefully you're all doing these, uh, our daily reading, there were uh, two stories in there that um, made me think of this song. And the first story, or, or the first parable, was is the parable of the, the shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one went astray. And he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And it, and, and it says this in verse seven, it says, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And I read that and I thought, man, there's just a lot of partying and rejoicing and celebrating going on in, in heaven. And then the next story up is the story of the lost coin. And it's about a woman who had some coins and one of them gets lost. And she tears the house apart and she finally finds the coin and it says this in verse 15. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Once again, I thought, man, God is telling us that there's lots of rejoicing, lots of, of, of partying, lots of dancing, lots of joy in heaven when people give their lives to the Lord. And so as I sat there in my chair at my house studying, out of nowhere, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll shout the victory. I, I couldn't stop singing it. And I wonder if the author of that song thought about these two stories that we read this past week. Thinking about all the celebration that will go on in, in heaven. And all of a sudden, the writer begins to, to pin these words. I don't know. But I told Chad, I said, I want to sing it. <laughs> After 40 years, I finally got to lead a song here at Big Valley Grace. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it every 40 years. So i, I got to hang on into my hundreds. Um, hey, look, before I get into the message, uh, I want to introduce you to one of our new partners here at Big Valley Grace. This is one of our, our local REACH partners that I'm just super excited uh, about having on our team. So check out this, this video, okay? Grace family. My name is Misty Severns. I am the city director, a missionary for Love Life here in Modesto. Our mission is to unite and mobilize the church to create a culture of love and life that will result in an end to abortion and the orphan crisis. We believe that the local church holds the keys to engage this very real spiritual battle here in our city. So over the coming days and weeks and months, we want to invite you to join us on mission we don't want men and women to run to the abortion clinics for help. We want them to run to the local church. Hi, I'm Cynthia. I lead the post-abortive Bible study. As a post-abortive woman, I assure you we are not a ministry of shame and condemnation, but a ministry of hope and healing. 
We work very hard with our partnering churches to establish and host post-abortive Bible studies. If you have an abortion in your past, please reach out to us. We are very excited about what the Lord will do through this partnership. If you wanna learn more about getting involved, I'm gonna ask you to please go to the REACH page. You can join our prayer team today. I encourage you to do that. There is power in prayer. So please join our team. We thank you so much, church family. Come on, man, give it up. This is a great ministry, okay? Last night, both Misty and Cynthia were here. This morning, Cynthia is over at our series campus, but Misty is here. Misty, stand up so we can appreciate you and what you do. So I want you to kind of realize something. Optically, it kind of looks like, well, isn't this the same as the Modesto Pregnancy Center? And the answer is no. They're two totally different ministries that, that are about the same thing. And I wanna make sure you go out. We have a table out there. Misty's gonna be out there. You can pick up one of these uh, little bracelets. And most importantly, you can um, pick up this little flyer. They do a prayer walk on the second Saturday of every month. We, we meet at uh, Coleman Brown School, and then they walk to the pregnancy center and along the way they have some signs up and you pray at all of these different locations. It's one of the great things that they do because we understand as followers of Christ that prayer is powerful. It works. And on October 14th, that particular second Saturday, Big Valley Grace is hosting that prayer walk. And so we want you to be there. Make sure you put that on your calendar and we're gonna gather. It's from nine to 10.30 and I guarantee you the Lord will use it. And so go pick one of these up, sign up for their, uh, their email uh, so you can keep abreast of all the things that are going on there. I'm telling you, it's a great organization. And then also out there, I think Jason Conway from the Gospel Mission is out there. He has a table, one of our great partners. And obviously he's here because of the great big party we're gonna throw out at the Gospel Mission. So go out and say hi to him also. Okay, so as I was uh, beginning to study for this week's message, as I began to pray and I began to look at all the different texts that were available for, for me to preach from, I began to think about the stories and the passages that are found in the Bible. And I want you to know there are a lot of stories or verses in the Bible that, that inspire me. Like David and Goliath. Man, come on. Man, when you read that story, aren't you inspired to go charge the gates of hell with squirt guns? I mean, there's just stories like that that just get you all pumped up and ready to go, right? Then there are a lot of stories or verses in the Bible that, that challenge me. Like um, God says, Rick, I want you to love and pray for your enemies. Hmm. That challenges me. That didn't come natural to my flesh. I, I, I want to hate my enemies. I want to punch my enemies in, in the nose. And yet my master, our Lord says, no, no, not my followers. That's not what I want them to do. There are stories or verses in the Bible that confuse me. The, the, the sovereignty of God versus man's responsibility. It's just, wow. That confuses me. There are stories and verses in the Bible that, that correct me. Things have been done to me and I, I don't want to forgive somebody. And yet the scriptures say, no, Rick, as one of my followers, you're to forgive others as you've been forgiven. 
it, it corrects me. It gets me back on the right path of, a, of what a follower of Jesus is supposed to act like, look like. There are stories or verses in the Bible that are so profound that I'll, I'll just never understand them because they're just so deep. The second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, God's only son, is hanging on a cross dying for me. Look, I can, I can share with you all the theological stuff. I can show you all the verses as to why it all had to happen and all that, but I just want you to know something. That's just really deep. And anybody who says, oh yeah, man, I get it thoroughly. You know, they're just, they're just flat out lying. That's just something really, really, really deep. There are a lot of stories or verses in the Bible that, that bother me. It bothers me that Jesus hears about one of his good buddies, Lazarus, whose sisters are Mary and Martha, who Jesus is super close with. Jesus hears he's, he's dying and needs Jesus' help, you know, and Jesus on purpose waits a number of days until he's dead. That bothers me. Maybe it bothers me because I'm being told something deep there that, Rick, when you pray, God hears it, but maybe he doesn't show up exactly when you want him to. But he has a purpose behind it. And then there are stories or verses in the Bible that bring me a lot of joy, that make me smile, that make me happy. And I think the story we're going to look at today is one of those. It just brings me a lot of joy. It makes me smile. It makes me happy because I believe we see in it the heart of God. And as we go through this, I want you to keep that lyric in mind. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That's the understatement of the year. You want to talk about a day of rejoicing. You think of the greatest party you've ever been to, and it doesn't even compare to what that day's going to be like when we all get there. And I want you to kind of keep that in the forefront of your mind. I want everybody to look at uh, Luke chapter 14. And I'll read it first, and then I'll kind of go back over it in, in a little bit more detail. But to set the story up, Jesus is at a lunch of a bunch of really highfalutin religious leaders. I want you to imagine the scene. They're all there around a wonderful table, and man, I'm sure there's all kinds of fine food and nuts and vegetables in the, in, in the center of it. I'm sure, man, there are really nice goblets of the choicest wine all around the table. And Jesus begins to talk about this future party that's coming, this future celebration that's coming that the Old Testament prophets talk about Obviously, in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, I mean, there is a party coming. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. He's talking about this moment, okay? And in verse 15, it says, hearing this, hearing Jesus talk about heaven and the great banquet, this great party that someday every true believer will be a part of, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it'll be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna stop there. It's a toast. Imagine a toast. 
Jesus has just talked about this great party that's coming, this great celebration that's coming. And now this guy pipes up and maybe held up his goblet and said, man, let me make a toast. What a blessing it's gonna be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Anybody ever seen the movie um, uh, The Sixth Sense? Okay, man, like one of my favorite movies. What I loved about it is when you get to the end of the movie, there, there, there's a twisty. Eek! And the whole time, you don't realize it, but Bruce Willis, the main character, is dead. But you don't know it till the last 30 seconds. And it's like, what? He's been dead. And I just, I just ruined the story for some of you. You were, you were gonna go home and watch it, but I just blew the ending for you. Sorry. Anyway, this story has a twisty at the end of it. Verse 16, after Jesus hears this blessing, oh man, it's gonna be great, isn't it, everybody? All of us sitting around this table. Man, when we get to that big party, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, hey, I just bought a field and I gotta inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I, I just bought five pair of oxen and I wanna try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Verse 21, the servant returned and told his master what they had all said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come. And here it is. Here's the line that just makes me smile. I hope it does the same for you. So that the house will be full. So that the party will be full. So that the celebration will be full. Man, God wants his house full, right? And here comes the twisty. Jesus has been talking kind of in this third person about some story. It sounds like some sort of parable and now he changes it all. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Oh, wow. This is really, really a weighty story. And I know most of you get it. As I said last week, if you're here, all I can do is mess this up. Really. This is a really easy story to understand. But I am gonna work hard at not goofing it up because I do have some things to say. And I love that line, that God wants his house full. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, right? And God wants you there. God wants those of you watching online there. He wants that to be the most incredible day ever when we all get there. And we're hooping and we're, we're hollering for Jesus because it's going to be a great party. It's going to be a great celebration. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceably. Uh, peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and, and holiness. This is good and pleases our God and Savior. And here it is, verse four. 
who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's the heart of God. It's another way of saying that God wants his house full. It's God's desire that everyone surrender their life over to his son. Ever since Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve made the decision to disobey God and it brought sin into the equation of life, everything has been about getting you and me into this great moment where we're partying in heaven. That's the heart of God. So let's walk through this, okay? Won't take me long. Look at verse 15 again. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Again, verse 14 tells us Jesus was talking about the, the, this party in heaven, this great kingdom party, the marriage supper of the lamb. I mean, he's talking about it. And this guy speaks up and says, yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be wonderful. And you can just hear the glasses clinking, can't you? Woo! I mean, he's saying this because he thinks he's gonna be there. Everybody around that table is all going, yeah, hip, hip, hooray, cheers, because they all think they're going to be there. Verse 16, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. Now, what you did in biblical days is a little different than you do now. In biblical days, you would have sent invitations out to people and said, uh, hey, Pastor Lonnie, I'm gonna have a great party. It's, it's coming up. You would not be given a date. You would just know that, you know, hey, you know, Rick's throwing a big party or somebody's throwing a big party and everybody would have gotten excited about it. Because that meant you didn't have to cook you didn't have to clean. You didn't have to spend any money buying all the food. So every, it was a huge social event. There were no movie theaters, drive-in movie theaters. You know, there, there, there wasn't all this fun games. So when someone threw a party, it was a big deal. Everybody got pumped about it. And the reason why you didn't put a date on it was because it would have taken the guy throwing the party some time to, to get all of the meat and cook all of the meat it would have taken the person throwing the party a lot of time to get all the veggies, to get all the nuts and all the stuff that you would need and get it all prepared. It would take the person throwing the party a lot of time to get all the, the wine and all the silverware and all the stuff you would need for the party. It, it took a lot of time to pull that off. And so you just wanted to get the first invitation out there to let everyone know the party's coming. And everybody would have been excited about it. This guy's throwing a party. And in the story, the man here is God, or, or more specifically, it's, it's Jesus. Remember, Jesus tells us that at the end. He's the guy throwing the party. And he's prepared this great feast for everyone. He, he's prepared this incredible party for everyone, but the Jews were the only ones who got the invitations to the party. They were the ones who received the invitations to this great celebration. They were invited to the party first. Romans chapter one says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. Think a little bit, um, uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. 
Hey, he came along first and told everybody, hey, Messiah's coming, the Savior's coming, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world is coming, he's coming, and then he says, there he is. The 39 books of the Old Testament were the invitation to the Jews. They were the ones from Genesis 3 on. Uh, uh, you know, think of all the great you know, prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel. They were the ones who kept telling the Jews, hey, the Savior's coming, the you know, Messiah's coming. Malachi says, hey, listen, the Savior's gonna be born in a little town called Bethlehem. They were the ones who received the invitation first. They had all the data. They were the ones who knew the party's coming. The king is coming. Look at verse 17. When the banquet was ready, when the party was ready, he, that's Jesus, sent his servants to tell the guest. Now everything's ready. 39 books of the Old Testament. He's coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. When you get to the New Testament, he's here, everything's ready. So the party's ready. And so the master, Jesus, sends people out. Hey, it's time. You knew the party was coming. You all had it down in your daytimers. It's now here, the party's here. It's ready to go. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must in inspect it. Please excuse me. Now I want you to know, as soon as Jesus said that, everybody sitting around this table would have gone, what? This is a stupid story. You know, it's recorded that Jesus wept, but there's no place in the Bible where it says that Jesus laughed. No place in the Bible does it say that Jesus told a joke, but a lot of scholars think this got pretty close to a joke without a punchline. Everybody sitting around that table would have gone, what are you talking about? Some big rich guy throwing a big huge party, we got an invite, and you're trying to tell me some guy bought a piece of land and he's gotta go inspect it. He wouldn't have bought the land without it inspecting. He's gonna go look at the dirt for crying out loud, come on. Right now, everybody's sitting around that table are going, this, this is a dumb story. This, this is a joke, right? Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I need to go try them out. Please excuse me. Look, if you had one ox, you were wealthy. If you had two oxes, you were super wealthy. If you had three ox, you, you were in a, a world, you know, of the Bill Gateses. Five? A guy who could afford five oxen isn't gonna go, hey, listen, I need to go check them out. You know, I need to go kick the tires and make sure these are five good oxen. He'd have had his minions go and do that. I mean, what's this guy gonna do? Go, okay, let me take him for a test drive, you know, get him all hooked up and go drag his field. No, a guy who could afford five oxen wouldn't, wouldn't go check him out. And once again, all of these people around this table who thought that they were going to the party, they were looking forward to the party, are going, Jesus, this, this guy's nuts. We finally got this guy. Nobody in their right mind would go check out five oxen and miss this party. The third one's the only one that maybe we all kind of get. Another, <laughs> another said, I just got married so I can't come. In <laughs> that culture, folks, the, the Jewish religious leaders, this is no joke, this would be a prayer of theirs. Lord, thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile and a woman. Literally, that's how they would have prayed. And so the idea is absolutely absurd. 
Really? Nobody, Jesus, is gonna miss a grand, great party where the food's gonna be off the hook, the drink is gonna be exceptional, the meat's gonna be the finest, because they got married. Now, like I said, in our culture, we get it, right, guys? <laughs> can, can, can I go, honey? No? Okay. I'm, I'm done. But you, you gotta look at it in its, in its, in, in its culture. So this special group of people, the Jews, were actually, who, that actually received the invitations to the party are all making excuses. In John chapter 1, it says, He, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, the Jews, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God, which is what we're now going to see in verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious. He said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the, the blind, and the lame I think these are Jews also, but these would be, have been the Jews that the religious leaders and their fancy clothes and their fancy food and the fancy wine wanted nothing to do with. They wouldn't even get by them. They wouldn't even get close to them. And so the story's just getting even more absurd at the time as Jesus keeps telling it. All of the religious folks, they all knew the Old Testament. In fact, they probably had the Old Testament memorized. Certainly they had the first five books memorized, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They knew. They were the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew. The lame and the crippled and all of these folks, they, they didn't know. They're uneducated. They wouldn't have a clue. They don't know what the Old Testament prophets would have said, most of them. And now Jesus is saying, you go out and let's get them. I want my house full. I want there to be this incredible celebration, so go find them. Bring them in. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. And I think that's talking about the Gentiles. I want you to go, go everywhere. Bring people in. I want my house full. And by the way, doesn't that sound a lot like the Great Commission? Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go! Get out there! All over! I want my house full! Man, I want heaven to be this incredible place where there's laughter and celebration and there's just, just incredible joy. Get out there, go everywhere. I think this might be the very first time we see the Great Commission, personally. Now I want to lay something out for you, okay? I want to make sure you, you really get this. We connect the dots here. Jesus said this about himself in Luke 19. He said, for the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save what was lost. That's a pretty good sentence that sums up why Jesus was born in that little town called Bethlehem. He was born to seek and to save the lost. And ever since Genesis 3, we're all lost. He came to seek the lost. He came to shed his blood for people. 
that their sins would be forgiven, that they would be able to be a part of this great party, this great celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He, he came to make sure that you were ready for that. That's why he came. It's how much he loved you. Now here's where things go a little crazy. This is one of those moments where you just go, man, I don't get it, man. Jesus in John 17 is praying. And this is what it says. Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And now he says, Father... That's why you sent me into the world. And so here's, here's, here's the gig. I'm now sending them into the world. We're it. We're, we're the servants in the story. We're the ones that go out and do our best to try to get people to the big party. To get people to the, to the big celebration. That's our role. That's our job. Now guess what? Just like the servants in the story, we're going to hear all kinds of lame excuses, right? I can't tell you how many lame excuses I've heard as to why someone doesn't want Jesus. Someone doesn't want to be a part of the party. You probably have heard them too. But in the story, Jesus never gets mad at the servant. He just keeps encouraging the servant, go, get him out there. I want my house full. I want the party to be this incredible thing. Get out there. And yes, most of the time you're gonna hear weird stuff. I think it's interesting in the story that the first one was about land. The second one was about possessions. And the third one was about relationships. Jesus said, hey, look, you wanna, you wanna come to my party? Let me tell you something. <laughs> you gotta forsake it all. You can't love your mother and your father more than me. Can't love your own kids more than me. Can't love your brothers. Or your, your wife, really? Your wife said you can't come to the party? <laughs> it's interesting the three things, the three excuses people gave. Beloved, you're going to hear all kinds of crummy excuses. That's not an indictment on you. It doesn't mean, well, I just didn't have the, the right verses together. I didn't have the right stories together. Man, Pastor Rick, if you'd have been there, I know they would have given their life to Christ. Nah, no, nah, they wouldn't have. Trust me, Pastor Rick's here, Pastor John's here, Pastor Lonnie's here. I can tell you, all of us have heard plenty of excuses as to why people don't want to give their life to Christ. We've, we've all heard them. And we're pastors. You've heard him too. Don't ever be afraid to tell the story. Don't ever be afraid to invite people to the big party, the big celebration that God wants everybody to be a part of. And don't get discouraged if they say no. Just go on to somebody else. I, I, I just think this is a bizarre concept that God came up with, that he sent Jesus and now Jesus sends us. And maybe it's, maybe it's because I know, I just know me. <laughs> really? <laughs> this is the plan? Right. As I've often said, if you knew everything there was to know about me, you wouldn't want to hear me preach. And if I knew everything there was to know about you, I wouldn't want to preach to you. <laughs> I 
It's this bizarre thing that God says, hey, listen, my son came, this was his role, now I'm giving it off to you. In Mark 16, it says, he, Jesus, said to them, his followers, go into all the world, go everywhere, and preach the good news to all creations. Look, go everywhere, and that doesn't mean you carry a pulpit around with you and set it down at work or whatever. No, it just means talk about Jesus. Don't worry about what you don't know. Just worry about what you do know. You were a sinful person and God saved you of your sin, man. And he offers that to you. He wants you to be a part of this great, big, huge party in heaven. Romans chapter 10 asks three great questions. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? <laughs> they can't. And in John chapter 17, Jesus knighted you, Christian. You're it. God wants heaven full. And you may have your ticket in, but it ain't over. You have a role to play in this thing. Think about this. Because God wants his house full, he, he wants the party in heaven to be full, he's going to give all of his followers tons of opportunities to share their story of faith. Don't you think? I mean, we know he wants his house full, so don't you think he's going to give us all just incredible opportunities? We used to call them way back here at Big Valley Grace, these divine appointments. I think the issue is, are we ready for him? So let me land the plane by just giving you two, two quick things, Okay. Ways that I think all of us can be a really phenomenal uh, witness to those around us. Where God could actually use us, use you, use me in greater ways to fill up the house. And the first one is this, is this live and work with excellence. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel in other words, Paul is encouraging all of us to live in a way that somehow honors what we believe. Uh, a more modern way of saying it would be, um, your walk needs to back up your talk. St. Francis of Assisi, he was said to have, you know, it's attributed to him anyway. He said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And here's the thing, it will be necessary. You can't preach the gospel without saying something. You can do nice things, you could live in an ex excellent way, you could work in an excellent way, but if you don't open up your mouth and say something, then how's anybody gonna know it was Jesus who transformed your life? Even Jesus had to say something. And there's nobody here who will stand up and go, well, you know, my life is more, you know, on track than Jesus's was. So I don't need to say anything. No, you need to talk. But it starts, I think, by living and working with excellence. Now, what makes you credible at work? Here's an idea. I'm going to blow your brains out. Be a good worker. Christians ought to be the best workers. They just ought to be the best workers. You're, you're the only Bible some people may ever read. And if you're showing up to work five minutes late, what? I don't know, the guy in the cubicle next year, the gal in the cubicle next year is going to go, man, if their God has transformed that guy's life, to the degree that he's always late to work, I don't want his God. 
You know, don't mumble and grumble and complain while you're at work. Once again, your, your coworkers are going to go, look, man, um, Jim over there is always griping, complaining. He's always in a bad mood. Um, I ain't going to church with him because I'm afraid everybody in the church is like that guy. And I don't want to be around guys like that. That guy's a bummer to be around. You go to work, think about the fact that someday you're going to be in heaven when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. So act like it now and you'll see maybe a difference at work. <laughs> act like it. I've gone, to, I've gone to parties at people's houses. They're Christians. And I'm in the place for like two minutes and I'll look at my watch and elbow my wife and go, we're getting out of here. This is a drag. These are all saved people and I don't wanna be here. And I sure hope there's not a believer in this room because they're gonna think we're all this boring and lame and have no fun. I'm not kidding. Now what makes you a credible, you know, neighbor and all that stuff. Just be a good neighbor. Be a friendly neighbor. You know, keep your yard nice and all that. Last night, Coach Hauser was sitting right down here. Uh, he has a relative who lives next door to me. And one day, I'm out there. I got my saw thing. Okay, I don't know anything. And there's all these uh, creeping figs that are all over our fences. And I had this big root, so I got this saw thing. I had to borrow it. I probably borrowed it from your son. And I go over, cut that baby. He's going, yeah. Okay. Well, the, everything from the root on is now dead in a week. So everything on my fence is all dead. And I was going, uh-oh. Everything on his side of the fence is now brown and dead and sure enough I got up there and looked it was all dead and he had that stuff all going into his beds I mean he, he man it was all nice and it's all dead and I'm going ah oh, man I should should have thought that through you know so I go over and knock on his door and I go hey uh uh all your stuff is dead yeah I was wondering what happened <laughs> I said well I got my hands on a on a saw and I it, it chainsaw thing, and I chainsawed the thing. And man, I'm really sorry. I said, hey, listen, I've called a company, and they're going to come out, and they're going to take all that off. It was, a, it was a lot, like a lot. I mean, you could fill up 20 green bins with this stuff. I said, they're going to come. They're going to rip it off, and I'm going to pay for all that. And then, and then I want to pay, you know, to put your, you know, plant, put plants in or whatever. And he goes, oh, no, you don't do that. I said, no, no, yeah, I do, man. I messed everything up. Now, here's the thing. I just want to be a good neighbor. And whatever it costs me, it costs me. That person will never lend me his saw again. <laughs> but don't you, don't you want to be a good neighbor? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And, and, and the second thing I'll tell you is this, is just be ready for the opportunities that God brings into your life. I think if you live with excellence and you, your work is excellent, I think, man, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to talk about the good news. Paul says in Colossians, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the, the most of every opportunity. Are you ready? Are you looking for those divine appointments? Man, I love our vision. Just love your actual neighbor. Care about your actual neighbor. That's where it starts, you know? We gotta, if we can't do it there, we're not gonna be able to do it anywhere else. And when you live with excellence and you work with excellence, I think you're gonna get all kinds of opportunities to tell people about Jesus, to tell people about the big party coming up that God wants you to be a part of. So here's how I want you to think about yourself as we land. You're a servant of the Lord, just cleverly disguised as a teacher. See, if you see yourself as a teacher and not a servant of the Lord, well, that goes up. You're a servant of the Lord. You're the one that God has sent out in the story. 
You're going to hear excuses. I get it. But God wants his house full, so keep at it. You're a, you're a servant of the Lord cleverly disguised as a salesperson. You're a servant of the Lord just cleverly disguised as a business owner or a realtor or a homemaker or a student. You're a servant of the Lord just cleverly disguised as a farmer or a doctor. And you fill in the blank. You're a ser servant of the Lord clearly you know, disguised as what? What? I don't know what it is, but that's the mentality you have to have. Because if you have that mentality, I, I think it changes how we work and how we, you know, live and how we interface with our neighbors or those in the cubicle next to us. And if you see yourself that way, man, you'll be more in tune with those, those opportunities that God brings your way to say, hey, man, I want to invite you. My master wants to invite you to this incredible party because he wants his house full. So everybody stand up. And I want us to say this out loud together. And when we're done, make sure you, you go out and say hi to Misty. Okay, she needs to know we're praying for her. This is front lines stuff, fighting against demons, this ministry here. And go out and say hi to Jason of the Gospel Mission. But let's, let's end by saying this out, out loud together. We got it? Put it on the jumbotrons. All right, here we go. One, two, three. God wants his house full, and he wants to use me to fill it up. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Ooh, that was weak. Okay, I want you to dig down deep to where the coffee is or the Red Bull or whatever, whatever, whatever it is you got in you. Here you go, one, two, three. God wants his house full and he wants to use me to fill it up. Father, thank you. You're so good, God. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm gonna shout the victory. I'm gonna be there. Most of us in this room are gonna be there. It's gonna be incredible. But in the meantime, God, may we all be used to fill the house. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Jesus.